Welcome back to the Dirt Show. I'm uh, broadcasting now from Miami Beach, where I'm escaping the cold New York winter and enjoying some uh, walks on the beach. Pretty much, pretty much finished with COVID. Still feeling a little of the effects and a little tired, but getting along, getting along, enjoying, enjoying Miami Beach. So, about 250 years ago. Um, the citizens of the British colonies in the United States revolted and we overthrew the monarchy and um, we established a republic and George Washington was offered to become king and he said, no, 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 no way, I'm not becoming king. We're a republic, um, not a democracy, but a republic. Uh, if it were a democracy, we wouldn't have the electoral college, we wouldn't have the Senate. We wouldn't have a number of the other aspects, probably judicial review in the Supreme Court. We're a republic. And, um, but but uh, we fought a revolution against Great Britain. We won. And then we fought another war, the War of 1812. Eh, kind of one tied. We got the Star-Spangled Banner out of it. Um, and, 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 and yet, why are we as Americans so obsessed with British royalty. We, we have rejected uh, royalty. Um, indeed, in our 250-year history, we've really had no royal families. The closest we've come to it is the Adams family. I don't mean the Adams family from television. I mean John Adams and John Quincy Adams, uh, both of whom only served one, one term. They were not the most popular uh, of presidents. And then, you know, we had the Bush family. They served two full, uh, 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 no, actually George Bush, the first served one term, and the second George Bush served the sec two terms. We've had the Roosevelts. Uh, they were only distantly related, uh, Teddy Roosevelt and Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in fact, at the flea market uh, yesterday in, uh, on Lincoln Road in um, Miami Beach. I bought a campaign button from um, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, McKinley, and, and Roosevelt's beautiful, beautiful button that's 125 years old. I collect uh, political memorabilia, among other things that I, I collect. Um, and, you know, we've kind of rejected um, royalty. The Clintons tried, um, but Hillary Clinton failed. Um, I don't think we're going to see Trumps, or I don't think we're going to see uh, Obamas um, uh, become royal royal families. Um, royalty is just not necessarily in the American DNA, but we're obsessed. We're obsessed with the royal family. I'll tell you just a couple of personal stories. It was August 30th, um, 2000, no, 1997, August 30th, 1997. Um, we were invited to a dinner party on Martha's Vineyard. This was in the days when I was still invited to dinner parties on Martha's Vineyard. We're invited to a dinner party uh, at which the guest of honor was uh, Bill Clinton, then president of the United States. And we were seated at his uh, table, small dinner party, maybe, I don't know, 15 people. But we were seated, seated at his um, uh, table. And then um, after the dinner, we had dessert and we were standing around schmoozing and um bill clinton really really uh like like likes like my wife um carolyn 
because they're both Southerners. My wife's from Charleston, South Carolina, and speaks with a little bit of a, a Southern accent. And of course, Bill Clinton's from Arkansas, and he speaks when he wants to with a Southern accent, other times with less of a Southern accent. And, and he and my wife were talking. I was standing next to them. We have a photograph of it. And uh, he was saying to her, you know, talk Southern to me. I really am enjoying it. And the two of them were having a really great conversation. I was mostly listening. And then suddenly the head of a secret service detail basically pulls him away and pulls him into the adjoining room where the football was. You know what the football is. The football is the nuclear uh, code device that allows the president of the United States from wherever he or she happens to be to authorize the sending of nuclear bombs to destroy another country. And we knew the, the Secret Service was in the adjoining room. The doctor was in the adjoining room. They always have that. And the football was in the adjoining room. And there he gets pulled away to the room with the football. Well, I, I have to tell you, we were a little nervous. And uh, Bill Clinton stayed away probably a full 20, 25 minutes, maybe as much as a half an hour, not more than that. And then he came back and he was absolutely pale. Um, he didn't tell us what had happened in that room. Obviously, you don't ask the president of the United States what happened in a room when the Secret Service pulled him in. He was pale. He stopped kibitzing with, with my wife. In fact, he basically said hello to her as if, he didn't remember that he was talking to her. Certainly, we were clear something was wrong, and we were very nervous. And we asked around. Everybody at the dinner, nobody nobody knew, and nobody was going to ask the president. Then the, the dinner party was over, and we're driving back, and we turn on our radio. We're listening to Martha's Vineyard radio you know, music, and they come on with a flash. And uh, they announced that uh, Princess Diana had been in a crash uh, in Paris, and it was uh, not clear whether she would live or die. And uh, shortly thereafter, obviously, we learned that um, she had died. And um, President Clinton knew Princess Diana, and they were kind of friends. And uh, uh, obviously, he was very, very shaken by uh, the tragic ending of her of her life. So that's <clears throat> One royal story I have, it's a distant story. It, it didn't, I didn't know Princess Diana or, or Prince uh, Charles, King Charles, uh, although one of my closest friends was a tutor for Prince Charles when he was a, a young student and thought very, very, very highly of him. My second story is a lot more personal. On Martha's Vineyard again, this is probably three years later, uh, a woman uh, named Lynn Rothschild. Her name was Lynn Forrester. She had been married to the borough president of uh, Manhattan. And then she was engaged to uh, Sir or Lord um, uh, Evelyn Rothschild, one of the people from the famous Rothschild banking family. You remember the Rothschilds? They're the ones who, according to Congresswoman Green, sent laser beams down to um, down to California and started the fires. But, you know, they are a prominent banking family. And uh, often when there are anti-Semitic attacks on bankers, uh, Rothschild Soros are the ones that, 
whose names come up uh, um, um, mostly. In any event, um, Lynn Forrester was um, going to give a party for her to intended uh, uh, Evelyn Rothschild. We were invited to, to the party. And um, uh, a lot of prominent people were invited to the a party. And uh, the guest of honor was uh, Prince Andrew, uh, um, the Duke of York. Um, at that point in time, I, I don't remember, third, fourth, fifth in succession to the, to the crown. And he was sitting across from us uh, under a, a tent, uh, a beautiful kind of Moroccan tent had been built uh, for, for the party. And um, I got to know him. Uh, we got to talk. We got to schmooze. We got to uh, interact. And um, he found out I was a Harvard Law professor. And he asked if he could. He was going to be in Boston for the next few days. He asked whether he could attend my class. And it just so happens I was teaching a class, first year criminal law class. We we're going to be dealing with issues of gun control, um, the Second Amendment, what rights people have, self-defense, homeless castle, all that. So I invited him to come to the class and he sat in the back of the class. He, you know, I think he had one guard uh, with him. Um, and at one point in the class, he actually raised his hand and spoke out and, and made a point about guns and introduced himself as somebody who had been in the British military. I, I think many of the people in the class didn't know who he was. Uh, I remember when I said to somebody that was the Duke of York, and they said, oh, is, is, that's a song, right? The Duke of York, York, York. Uh, no, he was the, the real Duke of York. And um, actually, Martha's Vineyard is located on Dukes County which he owns uh, uh, as the Duke of York before the revolution. Of course, he owned Dukes County. Um, in any event, I got to know him. He came to my class. The dean of uh, Harvard Law School gave a lunch in his honor. I sat next to him and we uh, talked again. And then a couple of months later, the British Consul General of Boston invited me to a private small dinner party at the uh, consulate and again, sat me right next to uh, Prince Andrew. We talked about um, the Middle East, um, talked about Israel, the Palestinians and um, a, range of, a range of other issues. And um, that was, you know, basically my encounters with royalty. As you know, Prince Andrew was ultimately accused by the same woman who accused me, Virginia Gouffre, of having um, uh, sex uh, with her. Um, she claimed that she had sex with Prince Andrew when he was, she was 17 and a half, that's a year and a half above the age of consent, and that she was paid $15,000 for having sex with him. Of course, uh, I have no idea whether there's any truth uh, to that or not. Um, she eventually, as you probably know, admitted that uh, she has now come to recognize that she may have made a mistake in identifying me as one of the people with whom she had sex. But she did settle the case with um, Prince Andrew and got, got lots of millions of dollars uh, for it. You know, all kinds of speculation that uh, that Prince Andrew was was pressured into settling the case by his mom, the queen, who was uh, then about to celebrate her jubilee and then uh, died shortly thereafter. So um, those are my encounters uh, with royalty, not particularly stirring, but interesting 
interesting stories. And of course, my last encounter was uh, last night, just watching 60 Minutes and, um, and, and seeing this interview by a very bright and very together young man, uh, Prince, Prince Harry, uh, much better interview than the interview that was given by, um, by Prince Andrew uh, on his accusation. Anderson Cooper did a very good job in bringing out a lot of material uh, about the royal family and the incredible disarray the royal family uh, seems to have been in um, uh, charges that uh, members of the royal family were concerned that Prince ha Harry was marrying uh, a, a woman of mixed racial background. I think her, her mother is African-American or black and her father is, is not. Um, I don't know whether there's any truth to any of those claims, but, you know, the interview actually got into a shoving match um, between the future king of England, um, uh, who is Harry's older brother, and Harry, and where apparently William shoved him on the ground and cut his back. Um, uh, they were not children when that happened. They were mature adults. So uh, that doesn't show a particularly functional family. He hasn't spoken to his brother now in quite some time. And, 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 and Prince Harry said he hasn't spoken to his father for a considerable period of time, saying he hoped that they will get together and perhaps be able to uh, renew their acquaintanceship. Um, so it's, it's a very, very um, dysfunctional family. And if you want to go back a little bit, it was much, much worse. Um, in um, uh, 1936, I think it was, um, um, the king uh, was uh, crowned uh, Edward Edward VIII, and and it, it turned out Edward VIII. There's no nicer word to describe Edward VIII than that he was a a Nazi sympathizer. Um, one of the first things he did after he abdicated in 1937, as he went to visit Hitler. This is 37. This is not 32 or 33. This is 37. There already Dachau was, was built. Uh, <clears throat> already um, um, Jews were being excluded from <clears throat> universities and businesses. People were being locked up. Horrible things were happening in, in Nazi Germany. And who does the former king go to with his Nazi sympathizer wife, an American <clears throat> named Wallace, um, but they go to visit Hitler and then they visit other people. In fact, I think they were married. I think uh, you know the excuse for uh, Edward abdicating from the crown, uh, but it was an excuse, was that he married a divorced woman. Of course, now we know that uh, the current king is married to a divorced uh, woman. Um, and historians have now speculated, more than speculated, they have some evidence, that the real reason that Edward abdicated uh, was he was pressured to do so because of his pro-Nazi uh, sympathies. People forget that, um, you know, the royal family is related to um, German royalty and also related to Russian royalty. Um, Tsar Alexander, when he was killed with his whole family, was a cousin of the 
King of England. They were all, you know, in inbred um, relationships and relatives uh, between, you know, the 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 House of Windsor, which was a German house, and um, and um, the British royal family, the Russian royal family, etc. So, you know, it's a royal family with uh, lots of baggage. Um, Queen Elizabeth did a great job. I mean, she was a monarch for longer than anybody in the history of Great Britain. And that's saying something when you're serving longer than anybody in the history. We're talking about going back to, um, you know, the, the, the Norman conquests and things like that. Um, that's really a long, long period of time. And she did a very good job. Um, there were questions about her, her views and 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 her attitudes and uh, but that's true of of lots and lots of people. But the question is, why are we so fascinated um, with a group of people who don't necessarily have any particular talents? If they do, it's an accident. Um, they don't earn their way to the. Uh, crown. Uh, they don't work their way to the crown. They don't get elected, according to, of course, uh, old tradition, the uh, Anglican church tradition. They are appointed by God. The, the Windsor family was picked by God. Well, I don't think there are too many people who believe that uh, anymore. Does anybody really believe that God would have picked a Nazi like like um, Edward, um, well, those who believe would say, yeah, God picked him, but then God also made him advocate. Maybe, maybe. Uh, in any event, it's, it's a fascinating uh, issue of why we care so much. And I'm curious what, what you think. I, I had a friend died a few years ago, a very nice woman. It was Irish, interestingly enough. She was obsessed with the royal family. I mean, you know, royal family didn't treat Irish people all that well. I mean, you know, you go back to the Irish famine, you go back to all the horrors that Ireland uh, had inflicted on it by the British. But this friend of ours, Maureen, was just obsessed with the royal family. When she found out that I knew Prince Andrew, oh my God, she couldn't, she couldn't get over it. I had actually, I actually touched him. And that's an interesting story. What happened is I was standing over him talking uh, at this uh, party when the waiter spilt soup on him. And I immediately grabbed his napkin because the soup was on his back. I immediately grabbed his napkin to try to um, sop up the soup and stop it from you know, ruining his, his outfit. And I got grabbed very gently by one of the guards and says, uh, one does not touch the royal body. Apparently you don't shake hands with the prince. You don't shake hands with the king. Um, but um, so I was rebuked for touching Prince Andrew, but I touched him. I actually touched him. I think I shook hands with him too when he spoke in my class. I don't remember that exactly. That's about 15 uh, years ago. Um, but, um, you know, the royal family, uh, why? Um, Prince um, uh, Harry seemed like a very decent young man. His brother seems like a decent young man, and their father, the king, seems like a very decent man. Uh, but <laughs> they're not anybody that we would necessarily choose <coughs> for positions of leadership. Royalty and, uh, you know, the Constitution of the United States provides that you can't um, accept any titles of nobility or royalty 
um, in, in the United States. People have circumvented that, given up their American citizenship to become um, um, sirs or, or uh, lords, but, but mostly Americans reject royalty, but we're fascinated. We're fascinated by it. And so I need to know from you why. Why are you obsessed by the royal family? Um, the British seem, in some respects, less obsessed. I mean, there are votes all the time. Should the royal family be abolished? And normally it gets a significant number of, of, of Brits to vote uh, against the royal family. Their popularity goes up and down. And um, obviously it varies with circumstances and with uh, um, uh, Queen Elizabeth. The popularity was high. Immediately upon her death, it went down a little bit. But now, now um, uh, King Charles seems to be doing a very good job. Uh, he's, I think, he is a a serious person, um, somewhat intellectual, cares deeply about the environment, cares deeply about uh, other uh, important issues. So, all I can say is, I wish the royal family uh, well. I'd love to see um, them patch up their differences, but I'm not going to obsess about them. For me, that's page 23 of the newspaper. I'm going to focus more on what's going on in, in, in Brazil, what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on in China, what's going on in Israel, what's going on, most importantly, in the United States. So I need to hear from you why, if you're obsessed with the royal family, why you are. Okay, so let's turn to some letters. Um, this is a good one. I remember the last show took place while there was still a debate going on as to whether Kevin McCarthy would become the Speaker of the House. And at the time, it didn't look like he was going to become Speaker of the House. And of course, he has now become Speaker of the House. What if someone is not a natural-born citizen and he is elected Speaker of the House? And then both Biden and Harris tragically die uh, in a heart attack in their sleep. Um, uh, on the one hand, the Constitution says the Speaker of the House becomes president. On the other hand, the Constitution says that such a speaker is not eligible to be president. Um, first, the Constitution doesn't say who becomes president after the vice president. That's up to Congress to decide. And Congress has decided the order of secession. Speaker of the House, President of Temp of the Senate. Um, now, maybe the Constitution does provide for that. It doesn't provide for who comes afterward. It doesn't provide for whether the Secretary of State, Secretary of the Treasury, I think it does actually provide. But uh, the answer is, is clear. Um, you can be Speaker of the House. You can be President Pro Temp of the Senate, even if you're not eligible to be a president. Uh, it, it just skips over you. Um, if uh, the Speaker of the House is not eligible to be president, then the President pro temp becomes president. The President pro temp is not eligible, then the Secretary of State. The only office that requires you to be eligible to be president is vice president. You can't serve as vice president or be elected as vice president unless you're a natural born citizen. And of course, natural born has been the subject of great debate for years, but especially since Obama, who clearly was a natural-born American. He was born to an American mother, and that makes you a natural-born, as distinguished from a naturalized citizen. Um, 
um, the Governor Romney, the first Romney, not the current Romney, uh, was born, I think, in Mexico. And I think McCain was born uh, somewhere else. Uh, so natural born doesn't mean born in the United States. It uh, means um, born in a way and to parents where you're automatically a citizen without having to go through the naturalization uh, process. But if you're not eligible, then it just skips over you and goes to the next person who's eligible. Good question. Fairly easy answer. This is one that's a little surprising. Um, I'm surprised you don't encourage diversity of thought. I don't encourage diversity of thought. Is there a program anywhere that has more of a concern for diversity of thought? I mean, as you know, I'm neither a Democrat or a Republican when it comes to issues of the Constitution. I accept uh, ideas from every point of view. Um, uh, this is what both parties should be doing. You're like having a uniparty in power. You are an establishment voter. You don't get it. I'm an establishment voter. Well, you know, I don't know who I'm going to vote for. I generally do vote for Democrats, but I could easily see myself uh, voting against the Democrats if they nominated somebody who I couldn't stomach. And there are several very strong candidates for that role of somebody I couldn't stomach. Okay. So you were one of the few Dems I will listen to. I used to be a Dem, registered as a Republican for local election years ago, but changing back to independent. I am so frustrated with everything in D.C. Thank you for taking time to explain these things to us. I hope to understand the ins and outs. Well, that's my job, uh, to, to try to explain. Um, I'm neutral. I'm not. Uh, one of the reasons my predictions have proved to be so correct over the years, legally, I've managed to predict almost every major legal development accurately. It's not because I'm smarter than Jeffrey Tubin or Larry Tribe or any of the others. It's because I don't let my personal desires in any way influence my predictions. My predictions are based purely on my analysis of legal issues, the precedents, the likely outcomes. And uh, as often as not, I predict things whose results I don't approve of but I never engage in, in partisan uh, predictions. And I'm, I'm proud of that role. Um, continue with supporting the United States Constitution. I thank you for the thought-provoking conversation. Mayor Liberties, be protected by law. That's nice. Here's one. Uh, professor, you gave Whoopi Goldberg a pass on her controversial comments about the Holocaust. She was suspended from the show. She was then put back on. She has recently repeated the same comments. Are you giving her a pass a second time? So why? No, I didn't give her a pass the first time. I thought what she said was ignorant. Um, I, I don't think she meant it in any way as bigoted. She was just totally wrong and dumb about what she said. She said, you know, Hitler's genocide against the Jews, killing six million Jews, was not racial, that it was white on white killing. Well, she doesn't understand uh, the Nazi philosophy and, and Hitler's philosophy. He regarded the Jews as a race, as an inferior race. Um, all of his attacks on Jews was racial. You don't have to be black to be involved in racial differences. He believed that 
Jews were a pernicious race. And so what she said was ignorant. And then she repeated it again after being told she was ignorant. And at that point, it became bigoted. So I'll give you a pass on just saying it's ignorant the first time, but the second time you don't get a pass. Second time, what you've done is bigoted. And you can't any longer say that um, uh, that Hitler's attack on 6 million and murder of 6 million Jews bore no relationship to race, that it was white on white violence. That's just bigoted and wrong. And I condemn her for it. Okay. Uh, wake up, Dirsch. Your whole party is now radical far left. You are paying attention to your own ideology getting in your way. Now, look, I'm not far left. I've never been far left. I'm uh, a liberal. Um, at point of time, I was center left, perhaps. I mean, I believe in Social Security and I uh, believe in uh, a range of other um, economic policies, minimum wages, you call that left, but certainly I'm against the far left. I'm more against the far left than most people on the far right. So I don't plead guilty to being supportive of the far left. I'm an opponent of the hard left. And I've argued for years that people who are perceived as being on the left side of the spectrum have a special obligation to condemn the left uh, when they become hard left and when they move away from liberal and civil liberties positions. Um, okay. Um, last question. It's sad that we can't just respect each other's personal decisions and just be kind or at least civil, regardless of the stand on vaccination or anything else. Look, I agree with you. Those are issues of, of science and we ought to listen to all the best evidence. But the idea that we condemn each other I mean, I've been condemned for being vaccinated. Um, I was vaccinated five times, four boosters, still got COVID. Um, but nonetheless, I think it was the right decision. But if you don't, I'm happy to talk to you. I debated Robert Kennedy. Uh, it got over a million views. Um, Robert Kennedy and I disagree, but we're friends. Um, um, and, and we respect each other. I disagree with his views, but that doesn't mean that either he or I have to be uh, a disagreeable. So uh, let's continue to disagree with each other. Write me letters telling me about your disagreements and let's uh, never become disagreeable. See you tomorrow.